welcome to the Dillweed Society Film Podcast. My name is Max, and my favorite movie is In the Heat of the Night. My name is Isabella, and my favorite movie is Moon. And my name is Megan, and my favorite movie is Pitch Perfect. (gasps) Yes! It's it's like such a good... That's Summer why. flick. It's a good movie. That's why. And we yeah. were just about talking about it last night. We mentioned it last night. And we've been talking about all the mashups that they've been doing, <laughs> that they did, right? For the past good. week, we've been talking about them. That's my favorite movie. Da, da. Bow. Yeah, exactly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. What would, America had a brief obsession with acapella music. All because of Glee. Is it brief? It all it's stemmed. Brief. It was like It was like seven years. Yeah, yeah it was seven <laughs> years. In the grand scheme of history. Because like, then the sing-off got really big, and then mm-hmm. the pentatonics got really big. Oh, but it all came from Glee. You can, you can draw a line Glee project directly. Right off of Glee. Glee project, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then Pitch Perfect. Pitch Perfect too. Eh. Yeah. They made a third one? It was weird. It was like a heist movie. I remember that. Yeah, they, were, they weren't singing. They were just heist people. Uh, Elizabeth Banks, really. Mm-hmm. Bankrolling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't franchise. know if she directed that last one, but yeah. He's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. M- Moon. You feel bad about uh, th- saying that because of Kevin Spacey, though? Wait, I don't actually know that movie. Can you can you give is me a brief? Is he in that movie? He is the robot. He's the voice of the robot in Moon. Oh, okay. I was like, it's only my favorite actor whose Sam name is Sam Rockwell. And <laughs> I... Because it's like a one-man movie. But there's and a it, robot that talks to him. Yeah. I, I thought this movie a little bit reminded me of Moon. Um, oh, yeah? For different reasons that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Is it the astronomical kind? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I couldn't say Fantastic Mr. Fox, even though that would have made sense. We should have all said our favorite Wes Anderson movie. We still can. Yeah. Okay. What? Three, are... two, one. Fantastic Grand Budapest Mr. Fox. Hotel. Grand Budapest. Yeah. That's yeah, good. that's my that's second good. favorite. That's and good. Rushmore is my third. I actually haven't seen the majority of Wes Anderson films, I, but I've just seen. There's not seen, that many. I own Fantastic Mr. Fox. I know I've seen Grand Budapest one at least one time, probably twice, but Fresh it's really good. I haven't seen that's still been on my list. That's my that's my third favorite. What? Yeah. Crazy. We'll talk about this. I really like the French Dispatch. I've had a lot of disc. I've shared a lot of thoughts around Wes Anderson recently, not in a good way. Oh anyway. well, I mean, this is the best platform to I share suppose. with the public. What are your thoughts on Wes Anderson? I, I generally appreciate his like devotion to an aesthetic and like an auteur style i think a lot of people say that it's gimmicky but like you look at an edgar wright movie and you know it's an edgar wright movie because of the editing like you look at like a pta film because of like the story or something and like what Wes Anderson's thing is like the visuals and I think he's, like, done a really good job with that. I just feel that with his most recent movies, I'm thinking Isle of Dogs, I'm thinking French Dispatch. Yeah. He has, like, reached a point where people make the style over substance argument a lot. And I don't know if it's just that, but I think that there was a lack of heart that I was feeling that was tied to his earlier films that I really liked. So that kind of changed with his most recent movie that we just saw. But what are you guys' thoughts? it's not just you know it's not just uh visuals though like he he crafts the the editing the visuals the dialogue yeah the whole screenplay right 
But people, what I was saying is like people boil it down to the visuals. That's true. Like yeah. a, a pretty movie. That's like the most yeah. iconic thing about him. Yeah. yeah, I get that. And then secondly, I think honestly, the music is keys people in very easily. Alexandra Desplat too. Yeah, yeah. Was like, he, does anybody um, talk about that partnership and the way that they like exalt Wes Anderson style? He's so good. And he's done. Alexander Desplat has done like my favorite soundtracks of like everything. He did part of the Harry Potter franchise. Yep. Um, he did... He did those, uh, Order of the Phoenix, I think. Yeah, and yeah. he's done, like, loads of other movies, but his particular partnership with Wes Anderson is really interesting. He's sort of... Oh, go on. I was just gonna say, I think it's cool, like, from a musical standpoint, to see somebody who's done fantasy work do so well at Wes Anderson, which is, like, a mixture between fantasy drama comedy magical realism like i don't know enough about like the discourse around wes anderson to know if he's been pigeonholed into like one particular style of like genre but i think from the music component i can i didn't know that this composer like did all these other works mm-hmm. and i think it's interesting to see the translation over to oh, yeah. a more realistic portrayal yeah. i think most people would characterize his films as comedies and that's at least how they're characterized in like google sense yeah they do i mean his thing is kind of like his writing style incorporates a lot of dry humor um and like deadpan comedy i guess it is its own genre in a way Ah. like all of them like all of them have a particular their own genre i mean what is a genre to begin with like yeah you're right but it's you know it's not it's not clearly a comedy because it's it's emotionally I don't know. Um, I mean, most you know, what comedies, is a comedy period? Most right? comedies, incor- like the best comedies, are not just funny. They incorporate something that is deeper, like meaning, like heart to it. Yeah, which really segues us into this movie. I think that this movie tried to do that in a way that Wes Anderson movies have not in the past. So, what movie are we talking about this week? Asteroid City. Asteroid City. Asteroid City. Uh, Max, do you have a synopsis? Uh, let's see. Set in a fictional American desert town, circa 1955, the itinerary of a junior stargazer space cadet convention, organized to bring together students and parents from across the country for fellowship and scholarly competition, is spectacularly disrupted by world-changing events. Okay. Like the biggest, oh my God, scene yeah. The spectacular world changing events. I mean, <laughs> when's the spoiler ball coming down on the podcast right now? <laughs> I don't know. I, I say um, this In movie. Com- this movie. Yeah, maybe we can do like our general thoughts and then. I mean. I I went in not knowing anything. I refused mm-hmm. to even watch the trailer out of spite. Mm-hmm. Spite. Yeah, because I I, I had had it with Wes Anderson and his fans, and after French Dispatch and I Love Dogs, I was just kind of like, ugh, I don't really want to see it. I mean, I will see it, but I won't watch the You didn't the like trailer. French Dispatch. Didn't like French Dispatch. I was pleasantly surprised. Those are my overall thoughts. Yeah, I, um, I didn't see I Love Dogs, and I also haven't seen French Dispatch, but I really want to. Um, I don't really have a desire to see I Love Dogs. And it did just dawn on me earlier this week that it is a play on the words I love dogs um, for the first time. That really hit me. I didn't look it up. I don't know what? if that's real, but I love I dogs. I love dogs. I love dogs. 
that... Megan, like, has the brain. That's crazy. <laughs> I don't know if that's real, though, but it sounds real. Sounds real, yeah. But anyways, um, for this movie, I'm a huge... <laughs> I'm a really big sci-fi and, like, also true astronomy space fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really kind of excited to see what I imagined would be a very adorable and precious take on that kind of um, sense of wonder. Yeah. And that really paid off. The scene in question, which I will not discuss in detail, mm-hmm. I was like, Max and I saw it together in theaters. I was like gripping Max by the shoulder and just like <laughs> squealing in delight. Um, yeah, it was it was a very delightful movie. And also um, the woman, what is her name, who plays the famous actress? Scarlett Johansson. She yes. is such a fox in this movie. <laughs> I loved her so much. That's interesting. I have thoughts on her character. Oh, yeah. For real. Yeah. Yeah. I... I thought the cast was just fantastic. Um, obviously, like, um, it was, maybe it was too much. Like, it was just sugar on top of sugar. He sprung the entire budget on the cast, and there's only, it's 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 like a bottle film, right? Well, the thing about Wes Anderson is, like, is, like, his cast are so, he, like, sticks with the same crew and everything. And he, like, adds in a few characters here and there. So, like, here you got Scarlett Johansson. Tom yeah. Hanks, Brian Cranston. Steve Carell as a side character. Steve Carell was he my was favorite. The best. He was the he best. Was the best. He was the best. Every everyone. time he, like, I smiled so hard. He sold his character better than any other yes. character. Yes. And I was like, damn, he's such a genius. He's so, so good. good. Yeah, I love Steve Carell. I think where the cast like tends to fail with Wes Anderson films because it's like a crew. And, like, if he has, like, a little role for, like, someone to just be like, hey, like, can you say this one line? He'll just, like, call up one of his people. But it, but to the audience, it's like, oh, that is Jeff Goldblum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know where that is Willem Dafoe. Like, mm-hmm. for no reason. Who was fully there? <laughs> oh, my God. What? Willem Dafoe. Was in it. Yeah. Yeah. Willem Dafoe. Like, uh, Tilda Swinton, Ed Norton, Brian Cranston... Jeffrey Wright makes a reappearance in this movie. He's in, yeah. Do you a think couple. that they all? He's only been in the last two, though. Do you think that they all like like took like lower contract level pay because like they got to be in a West or it's such a small part? Like, are they all friends? Like, what is the do- like? What I don't is know. what was the budget for this movie? I have no idea. They must <laughs> I, all like the. I think Wes Anderson needs to start um, rejecting uh, higher budgets because. I mean, that was my problem with the French Dispatch. I was like, oh my god, everyone gave him so much money to make this, like, ode to, like, the freaking New Yorker. And it's kind of, is like, bad. But the thing is, too, $25 million, that's, that's not that low, bad. That's a low budget. That's, 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 that's what I'm saying. Low. Like, all yeah. of these people, like, I mean, to be fair, a lot of them are only on screen for a very short amount of time. Yeah. And the kids are, like, all unknown. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. and they had, like, the most on-time, like, on-screen right. time aside from... Scarlet and the dad. Jason Schwarzman. Yeah, yeah. Like, they could have done the Brian Cranston and Willem Dafoe scenes in probably one week of filming. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no sets. Like, it's just... It's like... There's three sets. Three or four, yeah. Yeah. There's the set of Asteroid City. So maybe there's four. There's a set of, like, the, like, set up of... And you see it, like, pan over. Yeah. There's a set of, like, the backstage of the play. Yeah. And, like, a little bit to the outside where they're, like, talking across the, the fire escapes. Mm-hmm. There's inside the asteroid the hole. Okay. And then there's the acting class. Yeah. And I guess also Tom Hanks is set at his, like, ritzy millionaire house. Yeah. Right. But that's... Yeah, you And, like, the, the hotels in Asteroid City. And, like... Yeah. 
Yeah. But it's pretty lightweight as films mm-hmm. go, oh, especially yeah, compared to sure. French Dispatch. Thing is, though, like, so French Dispatch was premiering when it was announced that Wes Anderson was, like, filming this. And so that makes me think that, like, I don't know. It's It feels as if Wes Anderson maybe just left French Dispatch with the editor and mm. was like, just, like, do it. I'll give it a once over and then, like, we'll do it, which most of my problems with French Dispatch are the pacing, and which is a lot the writing but a lot the editing. So I don't know. I'm just speculating. But also, like, this movie felt so much, like, more, like, wholesome and, like, driven by heart than his previous two movies that, I don't know, it was, it was a really, it was a joyful watch. And it was really nostalgic of, like, the space race era. Like, I think it was easy to draw on that magic. I really, actually, can we make an honorable mention for the Roadrunner? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to see the, I wanted to see Wiley Coyote. Yeah. I was waiting for him. The Roadrunner and the Redacted are both... They look like they're stop motion. Uh, the Roadrunner is not stop motion. It's CGI, but the... Oh, I thought it was a puppet. It looks... It maybe is a puppet. Did it's you read a... that? No, I just... It looks it like that on because it looked like it had the little, like, the little the guider sticks. Oh, that'd be cool if it was a puppet. Oh, to God. me, it looked like CGI. But the but the Redacted is stop motion. And I, I really like... And I, maybe we'll talk about... Wes Anderson's relationship with stop motion, but I, th- I think it works really well with his styling. It's that Reddit is talking about it as if it's a puppet. Okay, that's cool. Right? I like that. It, I don't know why it's this like person and I understand each other. Florida Flamingo Girl on Reddit, Asteroid <laughs> City Roadrunner Puppet Appreciation Post. Let's talk about the true star of Asteroid City, the Roadrunner Puppet. <laughs> I could tell the puppeteer was relishing every second. Aww. <laughs> the way he stole the scene. <laughs> That's so sweet. I really did think it was a puppet, yeah. which is a great way to yeah. keep puppeteering alive. Yes. Have it in a Wes Anderson film. <laughs> I, I propose that we. Um... And the spoiler wall. Okay. And we just talk about the movie now. Cool. Yeah. Alien? There's an alien. There's an alien in the movie. Oh, I was squealing. I I had to hold myself back in the theater. It was so precious. Mm -hmm. It was very off-putting to see the, like, behind-the-scenes black and white, like, man dressed in the alien costume from the, like, play version that oh, was off-putting yeah. to me. Jeff yeah. Goldblum. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum playing the alien. Mm-hmm. But the, like, stop-motion descent of the... I, I, really I mean, I'm it. sure my fingerprints are, like, ingrained into Max's shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> it was very sweet and exciting. It was. My jaw dropped. Yeah. All mouths agape in the theater. Yeah. I didn't... I thought, like, I had a different, like, idea of what the movie was about. And then after the alien happened... Like, and I have a different... Um, I was talking with Nick about this and we like think differently about this, but after the alien came, I thought the movie kind of like lost its way almost a little bit, but then Wes Anderson kind of always pulls you back with like his own self-reflective dialogue in his movies. Yeah. I, I also think the second half of the movie really felt like it felt very cerebral. Like, um, it felt very point oriented. Like, it was trying to tell you something, you know? But tell you what? Exactly. But I hate that. I, I also, I mean, I also feel like that was, like, he was pushing so much to, like, have some sort of 
meaning to the movie in a way that wasn't really clear. Um, I think there was a clear meaning, but it got blurry, at least for me, in my reading of it, after the alien. Yeah, which is when they he tries to hit you over the head with it. Yeah, and and the, I, what I think the self-reflective dialogue is like, when it goes to the stage production, he's like, what is this about? What does this all mean? And then someone's like, it's a metaphor. He goes, a metaphor for what? And they go like, oh, just like write it out. Like, you'll get it. It doesn't matter. Like, just do it and it'll be cool. And he's like, no, I have to figure this out. Like, what does this mean? What does this mean? But I think... It's about man's struggle with infinity. That's a line. Uh, about like, <sighs> you know... Just roll my eyes. Yeah. The like, back of my head. I was thinking like, um, he's he's grasping for something. Wes is grasping for something. That it's like more um, ambitious than any of his previous films in terms of message. I don't even think so. You don't think so? I don't think so. What's I another? think it's just a cute film. Yeah. Because like the pre well, okay, so he does tend to like tell stories of these like troubled creators, but I think that's more of just like him putting himself into his own works. I was just going to ask if you guys thought more like if there was like a self-insert aspect to this because it seems almost too on the nose that the playwright is the self-insert character. For I don't him. think it's a self-insert per se. I think it's yeah. just like he talks to himself in his in the dialogue. Okay. Yeah, cuz I'm curious to hear more about like your thoughts on Cuz he even does that in like his older movies like Darjeeling Limited. They, there's a spot like just like a little line where it's like this would be more dramatic if there was a train passing by or like this would be more climactic or something and Wes Anderson loves trains obviously yeah. puts it in everything yeah and um so I don't know he, I think he tends to just like put his own thoughts about himself into his films but like you know Moonrise Kingdom has theses but they're not so grand as to be like what does it mean to play with infinity like what does it mean to confront infinity you can't wake up if you don't fall asleep yeah, I thought that was weird. We couldn't. Oh you and I were talking about that afterwards. Yeah. We're like, what does that even mean? Like he's trying to get somewhere, and it doesn't make sense. I oh, mean, yeah, we should also mention we watched this with your brother Teddy. <laughs> oh, true. don't want to leave him out of the oh yeah <laughs> the dialogue equation. I, I mean, I got it. I got like just a baseline idea of what that would mean. But at the end of the day, in that scene, I was like, guys, stop. This is embarrassing for you. Like, <laughs> stop it. That's, I don't like that. That's the really walking man. That yeah. That did it for me. I was like, okay. It was like, <laughs> you can't wake. It was like the, like the crash zoom. It was like, you can't wake up. Or wake. It made me see. It made me think of um, Don't Look Up. Mm-hmm. Like in the kind of like zombified, like weird apocalyptical coming to a reckoning with our own global mortality. Yeah. Vir- like virtue signaling. And I was yeah. like, where is this going? Like, what does that mean? I, I mean, I think that what I like got from it just from like a basic reading is like, you can't appreciate and like um, understand your own reality without like giving into the fantasy which I think mm-hmm. is what Wes Anderson tries to do with, like, creating this fantasy world. It's, like, let yourself live in the fantasy for a moment only to appreciate your own reality more. But I, what I really thought the movie like was that. about was... I thought it was a movie about grief for, like, the most majority yeah. of the film. Mm-hmm. I, that's the vibe I got. And I thought it did a really good job with that in terms of a famili- familial aspect. Yeah. You know those three girls are actually triplets. Of course they are. They look exactly the same. And they've all only appeared in the same other movie together as the baby in All Exchanges Final from 2017. I love... They were my favorite part of the movie. They were so good. Other than Steve Carell. Yeah. They were really good. I think all of the actors did great. I thought... 
Jason Schwartzman, mm-hmm. he was, this is my favorite performance of him of all time. Yeah, okay, can I say something about him? Go for it. So I think, and I know I've been talking a lot about everything, but I think when people think about dialogue in Wes Anderson films, you think like staccato, you think very like pronounced. Ba, 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 ba. Yeah. But when you look back at his older films, it's very mumbly. It's very like so you slur your words into the line. And Jason Schwartzman has been in nearly, if not every single Wes Anderson film. Yeah, I'm just looking at his letterbox. I'm like, yeah. these are all Scott, P- yes. Scott Pilgrim in, in addition. He's in Jar Dealing, yeah. Moonrise, French Dispatch. He's Ash Dispatch. in Fan- Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm. Yeah, uh, Grand Budapest. But he's also in Scott Pilgrim. Who is he in Scott Pilgrim? He's one of the he's, exes. Yeah, or no, he's the one who like takes who like uh, abducts Graves. what's her name? Yeah, Gideon Graves. Yeah, Ramona um, Flowers abducts uh-huh. Ramona Flowers. Yeah. Um, but he, but he brings that like that slurring into the lines. Like he does that, and the camera will like pan away, and he's still talking type of vibe. Yeah, like that happens a lot in Fantastic Mr. Fox, and I love it. But yeah, I thought he he brought like such heart to the role. He did. He did an amazing job. I know. And it's so hard. I mean, Wes Anderson really like brings a challenge to the actors. He's like, all right, think of the saddest thing you yeah. can think of. Yeah. Now play a deadpan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like be numbed to the reality of this existence. Oh yeah. But your eyes have to still be soulful about mm-hmm. it. Also, I really loved the gay kiss among the playwright and the actor. I thought that. I was like, what to do with that? I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it's just there. It's just a thing that happens. It's just there. You know? Who's that? What's that between? Um, it was, that was between, between Ed Norton yeah, Ed and Norton. the playwright. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Adrian I, Brody was also... His character, I thought, was such a enigma. Yeah, I guess. He was just, like, the director of the play, right? No, he was an actor within no, it. No, yeah. he was no, the he, director. He, he was the director. And right. the oh, playwright. He was the playwright. Was, yeah. Yeah, he Different was. people. He was the director. And I think most people... Would, Whose wife is, like, leaving him. Yes, yeah. Right, cause, yeah. and then he lives in the... Yeah. I also want to shout out the guy who played the general. His name's Jeffrey Wright. I oh, yeah. loved his, like, very quick, like, <laughs> here's my speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my grandfather fought in the war to end all wars that didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I thought that, like, his delivery of, like, such a dramatic piece within yeah. a dramatic piece, but playing it clean was, mm-hmm. was very comical. That was very funny. Yeah. I, I think it's hard to be really funny. Mm-hmm. Is it hard to be funny in Wes Anderson? Maybe it's not, but I feel like for like out like for comedy people who come into acting, yeah. like Steve Carell and, uh, mm-hmm. and others in this, I'm like, is it, a, is it hard? Is it a stretch? Is it beyond like your improv training? Is it beyond the like, mm-hmm. yes and, and the like big flourishes and whatever to like be as straight as you can and trust that like the camera's going to pick up all the small little details that are making it funny. Every actor is, like, trying to square the style with their own understanding of how you act. And yeah. Jeffrey writes... He he only started in French Dispatch, from what I understand. I thought he did a voice acting role. In, in Isle of Dogs, else. maybe? Jeffrey Wright, like, his ability to be unique among the Wes Anderson actors, right? To really bring his own, his own acting chops t- and fit into the world while also not just being like everybody else. Yeah. Um, I think that he is the star of The French Dispatch, and I think that he, he does a great job in his role, as limited as it is in this. I feel like there's, like, a triangle of, like, acting. It's, like, 
Owen Wilson <laughs> type act, like in Wes Anderson films, because the Wilson Brothers, that, that was the first movie, Bottle Rocket starred right. the Wilson Brothers. And then it's like Adrian Brody, which is like pretty boy Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. And then it's like Jeffrey Wright, who's like... Theatrical almost. I, yeah, I would say theatrical. Yeah. He's very Shakespearean in yes. his delivery. He's yeah. also in um, all three of the um, Catching Fire, the Hunger Games. Oh, Hunger Games. Games. He's in all three of the Hunger Games. Okay. Who is he? BT. Oh, he's one of the competitors. Right? No way. BT. <gasps> B-E-E-T. Yes, yes, yes. In, in Catch Fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's the but old But he's guy. in all three movies, yeah. so I think that like uh. he appears later as like a champion from past years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Probably. I remember him. Okay, so tell me about your feelings about ScarJo and this movie, or, or beyond, but specifically this movie. I tend to have a problem with, like, actresses who are... I mean, I don't have a problem with them. I have a problem with, like, the industry. She's always cast as, like, the pretty woman. And a scene in this movie made me feel really weird about, like, her choices in the movie. It's the scene where she drops the towel. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I was like, I don't think she would do that. Well, the point, the thing was, she asked to do that. That wasn't in the script. Wes Anderson left the set okay. um, when that scene was filmed. Because she was, was upset about it? No, not because he was upset. Oh, he was just, just like, uh, I don't, I mean, sure, if you feel like your character will yeah, do but that. Yeah, he doesn't need to be there. But like, okay. yeah, he was like, okay, whatever. I mean, that's the vibe I like it. Um, I thought that scene, like, I was like, that didn't need to be there. So she played it a bit more, like, desperate than yeah. it was written. Because I feel like when her character was first introduced, she was so just kind of, like, modest and matter-of-fact. I mean, yeah. like, I'm here to support my genius daughter. Right. And, you know, like, why are you taking a picture of me? Okay, I accept this as part of my life as a superstar. Like, at mm-hmm. least, you know, I get to approve it, whatever. Very contractual, matter-of-fact. Mm-hmm. But then, like, the more that she gets into, like, rehearsing for this new role and then like I guess in some way identifies with the like desperation of the woman she's playing in this new role she starts mm-hmm. acting out in that way Perhaps. I didn't really like I felt like that was too predictable and I think it yeah. also is like there's so much tropifying of like actors who act like the characters they play mm-hmm. which is not real for the yeah. most part I just thought that was weird yeah I also thought it was weird and it seems like the consensus with most people is that it was weird and not needed but that was, like, my main issue with... And then... I, I mean, I thought her character had interesting depth, but I thought it could have been filled out, like, filled out more, especially because of how much she was in the film. But I thought she did a really good job in terms of, like, becoming, like, a Wes Anderson character. I really believed that. Yeah, I thought that she did a good job playing the, playing the character mm-hmm. of, like, just, like, a straight-faced person. Yeah. The rest of her and Jason Schwartzman's, I guess, dialogue... And interactions felt very like it was kind of it was kind of nice in its tragedy. Um, yeah. These two people who kind of grow fond of each other because they're stuck together and because proximity. they're both in similar like parts of life. Yeah. And then they get out and they never see each other again. Presumably. Probably. Yeah. yeah. It was a nice side plot to the story. A nice like tragic and and kind of sweet side plot. And it makes sense, like given. Like Jason Schwartzman's grief, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like loneliness, even amongst his own children. And his father in law. And his father in law. Yeah. yeah. Hates his guts. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I thought, about, I think about this a lot, but yeah. this in this movie, I thought about 
the band of like western folk traveling singers yeah and the like head cowboy of that and like the school teacher yeah i was like there's a deleted scene between you two like there's something a little bit more that happened between like that kid like first being involved with them and like her coming and like you know chastising him and and the band and being like you know you should know better than to influence this child whatever and then the next time that they all come together is like when he and her start dancing together like to the Mm. music i was like Something has happened between this crew, and there's more to the story for this traveling band. I think closer by name. Yes, that's yes, exactly. That was the clue. That's exactly right. Uh, I don't know. I I thought that whole plot was very irrelevant and not needed. Like I felt like he was just trying to shovel in like so many different romances and and like because it was the the children's romance, the parents' romance, the teacher and the cowboy romance. And then um, the mystery of the alien and the mm-hmm. quarantining, which I thought was like, wow, that was, you know, very evocative of recent events. Right. Mm. I just thought, I, I didn't think that, first of all, Maya Hawk is just always going to be seen, like, in my eyes, she's a teenager, because she's always typecasted, so, and I thought it was like, didn't need the school children or anything like that. It was like, cool, whatever, but I don't know, like, if there was a deleted scene, it was deleted for a reason. And maybe they should have deleted more, is my opinion. <laughs> oh, hot takes from Bella. Yeah, no. It was really only two scenes with the her teaching the the children. Yeah. Yeah. She's exactly. Like grappling with reality. She's like, wow. Today yeah. We have learned that the universe is much bigger than we thought. We're going to go ahead. We're learning about Jupiter. <laughs> we haven't talked about the the like I don't know competition. Yeah, the kids. Yeah. Um. I thought the. Breaking we love down autism representation. Which one? The entirety of any Wes Anderson film. Sorry. Yeah, I liked. Um, what is his name? His name is uh, Genius. What's? Oh, uh, Woodrow. 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 But. Oh, Brain. Brain. Brainiac. Brainiac. Played yeah. by Jake Ryan. Yeah. I thought. Name. I thought he was um, really endearing, and all of the other like young kids, especially the one who's like constantly asking people to dare him to do things, <laughs> and he's yeah. like. And his dad goes, I, why do you ask for this? Yeah. And he's like, because... And he I gives think, a really deep response. He says, because I think if I don't ask someone to dare me, no one would even notice that I did it. Yeah. Which is funny, because like, when we were watching the movie, like, like two scenes before, when we had seen him, I leaned over to Max, and I was like, this kid just like really... He just like needs attention. Yeah. Yeah. And I got the feeling it was like a single father situation. Yeah. Probably, yeah. yeah. I didn't think that... Scarred Lloyd Johansson's daughter had any character other than being smart. Yeah, it's just she was smart. And, and kind. As, and kind, I guess, but like used as like a love interest for mm-hmm. Woodrow. But surprisingly, his and her love interest was like the least developed romance in the entire story. Yeah. It's just proximity. Yeah. Which yeah. is, I think, is true for a lot of like 12 year olds. And the, like, yeah. that's the whole movie. It's like they're stuck. You can't wake up if you don't fall asleep. I thought the, the, the car breakdown, it, anyone who's ever had a car breakdown um, would find the opening two scenes really funny. Um, <laughs> it's, it was some mysterious other third problem. <laughs> it was like not the one or two. Yeah, and also we never got an, a, an answer about this like weird alien I know. moving part. And Max leaned over to me and was like, that's an alien. The like, thing that falls on the ground and goes, yeah. yeah. Another thing, I mean, it's sort of related to the car, but like at the end of the movie... When, because like, I mean, if you've listening, if you're listening to this, you know this already, but the, the performance of the play is Mm. the movie 
And so at the very end in the like epilogue, you hear another atom bomb go off and it's, it's set, it starts, it ends how it starts exactly the same, which was what I thought was kind of like both like the cycle of life. That's just like going between grief and joy or like, you know, and then also doing a play. You just got to restart it every night, yeah. doing it over and over and over again. And that was Adrian Brody's character. <clears throat> like, he's just constantly restarting. Right. So, I don't know. I did think the meta aspects were kind of cool. I wasn't expecting them at all. Was it cool or was it um, self-conscious? You know, was it like he doesn't feel comfortable making, making this story alone? story alone, yeah. You know, and so he has to make it meta. Yeah. I think there might be an aspect to that, or he like just wants to tell too many stories at once. The the part where the character runs off the stage, loved that. I thought that was great. That was one of my favorite parts of the movie. But I think now, like, what was it all for? You know, it was it was it was great, and it was like so emotional. I and mean, yet, and yet, why what does was Augie, the point? Why does Augie burn his hand on the griddle? Exactly. Yeah, I think. I mean, there's a lot of answers to everything. I didn't, but the, the, I didn't even have that wasn't even a big question to me. Yeah, it like he's just stressed question. out. Yeah, yeah. It's like you give in to your intrusive thoughts. You're like, yeah. might as well just right there, you know. Yeah, and also, I mean, it it goes back to I feel like I've seen this. I just read this today on that website about um, TV shows. What is that called? TV tropes. Yeah, T- on TV tropes, and I was like, oh, let's look at the West Wing. Look at Josh Lyman, and like the like the the self harm to to like distract yourself from the larger oh, impending yeah. problem. Yeah. I'm like, that's what he's doing. You know, exactly. he's like, I can't think about this. And like, let me do this other thing. You know, like, yeah. that seems very obvious to me. That doesn't seem like a question that I would ask. Yeah. I don't know what an actual actor would ask, but I don't know that an actor in the position of, of like the person playing Augie would ask that question, you know? Yeah. I I liked the balcony scene because if I was still watching it through the lens of this is a story about grief, like, he is connecting with the person who he supposedly lost. Who's dressed all in white. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it both in, in the context of the play, um, he's, like, meeting this person. But also in the context of, like, his life in the meta aspect, it's like, he doesn't, he's, like, He's maybe he's performed this every night and every night since like however long and he's like distraught. He's like, I've been doing this for so long that I don't even know what I feel anymore. And he's trying to like connect back to like that early love for whatever character or acting or something. I don't know. Something yeah. like that. Something. something um, connecting you... to something. Yeah. I think the key is, is that is it him or the actor that comes out after him? That says to her, oh, I know you. I was supposed to play, like, opposite you in such and so play. Yeah. And I thought, like, that line itself, like, opened in a little bit more of a key to, like, there was supposed to be an alternate ending. There was supposed to be this, like, kind of hopeful, longer down the line, life. The wife. That's what she was supposed to play. Yes. And did you notice he, he, like, flubs the line when he, like, comes out to her? He goes, like... You were the wife who played my actor. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Which I thought was really yes. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Which I think was on purpose. I think mm-hmm. that was... Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's lots of mistakes in film and TV that, like, get left in because they're mm-hmm. actually perfect. But that mm-hmm. one, I think, 
that's like super intentional. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it's also the confusion between the story and the 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 actors. Yeah. Right. Or who you're supposed to be, who your vocation is, exactly. and who you as a person are. Yeah. Which is sort of a theme throughout the entire the entire thing. Yeah. Because yeah. he's a photographer. He's, he's a, a war pho- photographer. Yeah, and yet... And she's an had, actress. Right. And yet neither of them are either of those things in their moment. And there are scientists that are supposed to know everything that we know about the universe, and they're just as flabbergasted as the kids that they let ride their super expensive yeah. telescope and like look out into a completely bright sunlit sky yeah yeah <laughs> i was like this is not it friends. yeah <laughs> yeah there's a number of of things like that of um sort of like poetic moments in the story um and that's what i mean when i when i say like this is a this is a growth film for wes anderson you know that he's mm. he's really trying to push in this film conceptually something that's conceptual or like hypothetical or brainy um in a way that his previous films felt comfortable doing um naturally like he mm-hmm. feels the need to push it in yeah. this film yeah i think so do you think it's because his like fame and the like fanfare over his aesthetic and presentation has reached such a high level like people are spoofing like Wes Anderson type presentations of life like on TikTok on Instagram right, Reels exactly. like, people did that for the birth of their own child like yeah so, you know like do you think that he's like trying to expand beyond partially because like oh shit now I'm like I'm I'm part of the cultural zeitgeist yeah. right I'm a great artist like yeah. I need to fuck make something that's like st- stains history you know what I think and I wrote this in my letters box review what? I think Wes Anderson should quit film <laughs> quit film quit directing <laughs> Totally switch to script writing. Direct, a, like, a play. Yeah. I would totally see that. Right, and like, direct a play? He like, clearly, he becomes Aaron Sorkin. He clearly, yeah, yeah. But he clearly, like, <laughs> could do that. Because, like, he wrote this as if it were to be a play. And, like, the way that he structured it, because he has, like, the, the title cards for act one scenes, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, like, movies are also written a similar way. But plays are written differently so it seemed like he was trying to like evoke more of that you also see that tweet that was like was anderson Anderson needs to stop making movies and start designing miniature golf courses oh that's such a good tweet no so true that's great i would this movie reminded me of two two other forms of media one of which was um Murder by Death, right? The play, obviously, because it's yeah. a play adapted to a movie, but it's it's a play about a playwright right. arguing with his actor about the meaning of the play, right? Or arguing with uh, another playwright. Oh no, sorry, that's Death Trap. Excuse me. Yeah, it's the the play Death Trap. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, but the one that is more interesting and I think more close to this movie is the play uh, The Petrified Forest. You were talking okay. about that one to me. Like, when I watched this this movie, I couldn't stop thinking about The Petrified Forest, which is this movie, it's a play, but it's a mo- it, the movie adaptation. They're stuck in a, um, like, rundown town where, like, everybody who lives there has only seen, like, five people for the past year. Um, and it's sort of a pass-through town. Um, and this playwright stops in and, or I think he's a poet, he stops in and he talks to the daughter of the innkeep, or the, the bartender um, daughter, and he, like, 
tells her about the rest of the world. And then they both get caught up in this, like, heist from these uh, bandits. Oh, wow. Just like the shooting guys coming through the town at the beginning and the end, being chased by the cops. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also, like, it's it's set in the Southwest. Um, I just think that Wes Anderson was, like, he was reading a lot of classical American, like, Western plays. Yeah. And plays adapted to movies, particularly. And, like, felt the need to reproduce that in some way in his own style. Yeah. And I really like the desert setting for a Wes Anderson film. Mm -hmm. The color is really pretty. Yeah, there's something very controlled about that as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not cold, it's not warm, it's just... And, and like, white. Flat, Yeah. too. Which is what they say. In the movie. You're quoting the movie. Yeah. 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 So I have one... My last question for you all is... Why did the alien come to take the asteroid and return it? What What is that? Probably just to market in their data system i don't know i don't know if there's any greater meaning like i think i don't know did you wonder about that ever like i was like if the alien wanted to come and take the asteroid i feel like the alien could have been monitoring long enough to see when the least amount of people would be in the pit or like is he doing it on purpose as like a kind of like oh here i am right but he seemed very very perturbed yeah he didn't expect people to be there yeah although he did pose for the camera which i thought was very unalien of him and Mm -hmm. i was like that's a person and like coughed too yeah so like it made me think that maybe it wasn't an alien maybe it was a person maybe it was a person and is that something is it if it's actually a person but it's not the military as far as he knows maybe it's it's the general maybe it's yeah yeah but he's just a general maybe it's maybelline yeah I think that there's something kind of funny there, but maybe there's nothing. I don't know. I think there should be, but I just, I couldn't get anything out of it. We're kind of in the era of movies that don't make sense. What do you mean? Absurdism? Yeah, or like, it's it's specifically a movie that can make you think that there's something deeper behind it, and then you like, it's really like puzzling. I think that, so I was thinking about Tar last year, (laughs) and how that won a bunch of awards. I don't know, that in particular, right? It's... It's, it's difficult to like trace what it means. Um, maybe everything, everywhere, all at once too. Like that, I feel like that's pretty straightforward actually. Even though it it aspires to be complex. I mean, and kind of random. I think most critically acclaimed movies are like if we're talking about like Oscar movies, they're not straightforward in their messaging ever they're like i don't know like i i would say everything ever all at once had a pretty clear message to me mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah i'm with you um i hadn't seen tar but minari has has a kind of um unclear message yeah that's true i i just think like compared to uh the 2010s if you look at the movies that were made then they're very straightforward in their messaging like what? dallas buyers club right yeah. Uh, or like, or the two thousands even, Whiplash, Birdman. Um, I don't know. Those are all really I clear. I necessarily agree. Boyhood. Boyhood. Very clear. This one is confusing on purpose. Do you think it's like arising out of this sense of like existentialism that we've all been grappling with, probably since twenty sixteen, but also since the pandemic? Probably. I think there's a bit of that. I think also. <clears throat> I mean, I am I am a hater towards the whole, the point is that there is no point 
are like I'm messaging. I'm right. I hate that. that. Yeah. yeah, I think that's. Um, I also think it's like kind of lazy. It is lazy. It is. So and and I also think that like art is what you make out of it. Like you can find something in a lot of art. Um, and I think I don't think that Wes Anderson's point with this one was the point that is that there is no point necessarily because I think there were strong points about grief and like family made up in this. But it is purposefully puzzling. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that there's no point, but that there there's some point, and it it's like trying to make you figure out something. Like read I the tea guess. leaves of the film. Yeah. Yeah. You can't wake Perhaps. up if you don't fall asleep. I like your take on that, Bella, because that's something that Max, Teddy, and I were trying to puzzle through. Like, what what does that even mean? Because, like, for a lot of, like, the messaging for our generation has been, like, like we have been asleep, and now we need to wake up. Like, that's right. literally what being woke is about, like, right. like um, metaphorically. But what is the whole, like, you have to be asleep first in order to wake up? Like, we were really struggling through that, and I like your take on that that you expressed earlier. Because I think that that actually makes it more tangible and makes more sense. That was just, like, the immediate reading that I got from it. I'm sure I could do, like, a deeper, but, yeah, I thought it was pretty... Because I, I think especially, like, Wes Anderson's movies feel like a dream. They are very, like, fantastical uh, fantasy worlds, and it feels like there is some sort of an escape that are still s- sort of tied to some type of reality in some way, but not, like, in a, in a major sense. So and there's yeah. a safety in that. Yeah. I agree with Max that it seems like kind of a, a playing around with the genesis of a potential new-ish era for West. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wanted to be secure enough to have the coolest all-star cast and have it still be like a cute film, even if right. the experimental parts of it didn't hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, our ratings. Oh, yes. Okay, why don't Do we go you, around? Yeah. Who wants to start with their rating? I'll start. Is this out of five? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I, I think... I'm I'm really teetering between a three and a three and a half. Three and a half just because I I I love the space aspect. I love the aliens aspect. The preciousness of that and the kids like exploration mindset was really touching to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think over time I will settle more towards a three. Mm-hmm. For me, uh, there was something like like a seedling in this film um, that makes me want to give it. A four out of five. It was it was touching and perplexing in a way that is really, um, like, what I'm looking for right now. And so I give it a four out of five. Is that the highest that you've ever given on this podcast? No, oh, I no. gave RRR a five. Oh, okay. And yeah, Tara yeah. five. Oh, yeah, you I'm, do love Tara. I'm easy on giving fives and four and a halves. If, a, if I like a movie, I will, like, pretty much give it a four and a half out of five. I gave this movie a four because I, I had a really fun time watching it. I was pleasantly surprised. I love Steve Carell. Loved the, the three little girls and I love Jason Schwartzman. Maybe over time it will also fall, but uh, that's that's what I gave it immediately after seeing it. It was a joy to watch, and that's what I told oh, yeah. my family. I was like, it's a cute movie. Yeah, yeah. And it was a joy to watch, which is, I mean, what more can we ask for? Exactly, exactly. I mean, mine might just be a repeat, but I haven't seen that many movies. Um, hopefully, I will see more because I you work at a movie week, theater. Yeah. Hmm? yeah, I saw Asteroid City. Asteroid City. On my one day off. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, I will see more. So, 
uh, I mean, I'll get mine out of the way. Y'all, if you listen to our previous podcast, you will know how much I love Cocaine Bear. Uh, and so that is my recommendation this week. It is just a really funny. It's gory, so mm. beware. But it's it's really funny. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, I would recommend um, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. <gasps> you saw it? Yeah. I saw it in IMAX. Oh my god, I need to see it. I have to t- let people know before they see it. It's not a spoiler. It's it's necessary. This film is a part one of part two. You know, of two parts. That's a spoiler. Don't say it. No, I said it. Because I went into it and I saw it and I got to the end and I was like so disappointed. It really, it so knocked it down. So disappointed. It knocked it down a single star. A it knocked star. it down a whole star. Wow. I still haven't seen it and Spider-Man's my favorite superhero, so I need to see yeah, it. Yeah, Into the Spider-Verse was really good. This movie is also really good. Um, be excited. Mine is one that also came out earlier this year. Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. <gasps> Excellent film. I watched that book when I, I watched that book. I read that book um, after I'd read a couple other Judy Bloom books. Um, it it doesn't it could it could occur in any time like it doesn't have to be the 1960s like mm. or 70s i think like it is timeless and regardless of if you menstruate or not like there are just themes of growing up that i think like you could understand and like potentially relate to and also this was I don't know if this is a hot take. This is my favorite performance by Rachel McAdams I've ever seen. I thought she was excellent in this movie. Yeah. I thought she, like, this, like, she shined for me in this in a Mm. way that, like, made me cry. It was a very, very important movie. And watch out for a cameo by Judy Bloom. Super brief on screen. Not even a character. Just have, you know, just just look out for it. She just walks by. Just look out for it. The relationship between Rachel McAdams and her character's husband is just like uh, oh, it's it's what I want it's you know? so well acted yeah alright great um, so go see Asteroid City and uh, I don't know what our next movie will be but we will we will let you know we will, we will you know. post you know yeah. it's gonna be a very good summer of movies uh, we are coming up on the Oppenheimer Barbie double feature oh yeah Woo! oh yeah I'm so excited yeah um, and Get at us on Instagram at Dillweed Society. And we have a whole new website now. So if you go to dillweedsociety.com, it's a completely different layout, but I hope it is clear on how to read it and everything. It's uh, great. Yeah. Tell your friends to become associates. And uh, let us know if you watch any good movies this summer. We'll talk about them. And thank you, Megan, for being here. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, guys. <laughs>